Praise God for the gifts that he's given to our choir and to Amy. He's a good God, and they're good stewards of those gifts. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, the 22nd chapter. The Gospel of Luke, the 22nd chapter. And we're going to begin looking with the 54th verse. The Gospel of Luke, the 22nd chapter, beginning with the 54th verse, and we're going to study through the 62nd. Once you have found your place, please look up with a smile. Let's ask God to bless us. Let's pray. Father, we open your word with confidence that your Holy Spirit as he has done throughout the generations, is going to take this word and open it for us and impact us to change our thinking and to warm our hearts and to change the way we live our lives. Please, Father, take us back in time and help us to a degree to relive some of what your son Jesus experienced just before he rose again to be with you. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think a lot of folks have wondered why we call this Good Friday. And I have to stop and remind myself every year why we do, because it was not a very pretty day. I think as Isaiah so appropriately wrapped his arms around what took place and what Jesus was doing, all of us have suffered. All of us have had hard times. And when you start to look at that in the context of what Jesus experienced, it's a little overwhelming. On that day, that Friday morning, still in the dark of night, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of his own Judas betrayed him. Judas walked into the garden and walked toward Jesus. And to identify him for the Romans, he kissed Jesus. And you can sense from Scripture, Jesus repelled him. And in essence was saying, get on with what you have to do. Remember what Peter did? Being the zealot he always was, that big fisherman whipped out his sword and took a swipe at the closest person he saw as an enemy. And he caught a slave and cut his ear off. And Jesus, doing what he so consistently did, said, we're not going to have any of that. And he reached up and healed that slave's ear. And you would have thought with the healing of that slave's ear in that garden that everybody would have put their swords away and gone home and said, that is the Son of God. But it helps us realize how sin just numbs us. The sin that we were born with and the sin that we encounter during life. And those men had hard hearts that morning in the garden. They took Jesus and took him back to the city of Jerusalem. 
And when they got him back to Jerusalem, they took him not to a high court, but to the religious leaders, to the home of Caiaphas, the chief priest. And there they tried him, preparing to take him ultimately through the city streets with people spitting on him and calling out disgusting things. The same people, in some cases, who had cheered him on Sunday as he entered the city. Isn't that ironic? They took him outside the city, and there they nailed him as a common thief to a cross. And there he gave up his life to God, and he died. Now, you would think that that's enough pain and enough hurt. But our passage today tells us about a different kind of hurt. It's kind of like the hurt that Jesus experienced from Judas. And now he's going to experience it from Peter. I want you to listen as I read, starting in verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him into the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After he had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a slave girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. My friends, God has just spoken to us. And in those verses, he has something for every one of us. May he add his blessing to the reading of his word. When the arrest that's mentioned in verse 54 took place, they did, in fact, take Jesus back into the city of Jerusalem. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to incorporate the other Gospels into some of my comments. But we know from the other Gospels that Judas was off and on his own now. And we know that the bulk of the disciples just fled into the darkness. Not to be seen, certainly not to be identified with Jesus. We also know that John apparently went with those who did the arresting. And when they got to Caiaphas's home, John was admitted to the courtyard. So he had some standing with them that the others didn't have. And then Peter lagged behind. 
He wanted to be there with John. He wanted to see what was going on. But he did not want to be identified with Jesus. So he lags behind and he goes to the high priest's home. And we know from the Gospel of John, when he got to the gate, they wouldn't let him in. John went to the gate and got him admitted to the courtyard. And he walked into the courtyard. While all that was taking place, they had taken Jesus into a room. And and the way most of those homes were constructed, they had internal patios. So people were gathering in that patio, and that's where Peter went. But they also had rooms that looked out onto that patio. And as they took Jesus into one of those rooms, they started to accuse him, trying to find something of substance to charge him with. Jesus said an interesting thing to them. He said, you know, I was in the temple every day this week. And in the daylight, you didn't lay hands on me. But you waited till it was dark. And then you did this evil thing. My daddy told me, son, not everything that's evil happens in the dark, but most of it does. So beware of the dark and come home early. Is that not good, sage advice? We need to teach that to our children and our grandchildren. After they had decided what they were going to accuse him of, they put a hood over his head, and that's a curious thing. I suppose they didn't want to see his face or look him in the eyes or have him look them in the eyes. And then they began to slap him and hit him and curse him. You know what happens when you harbor anger toward another human being? Most of the time, the other human being doesn't even know you feel that way. And what it does is it does internal damage to the one harboring those feelings. Paul says in Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What he's saying is, get the anger resolved. Be reconciled to each other. But that's not what these Pharisees and other members of the Sanhedrin had done. They had wanted to kill Jesus. They had wanted that when he raised Lazarus from the dead and got the attention of so many people. When he went into the temple and people would gather around him, they would have laid hands on him in the daytime, except they were afraid of the people he was teaching and that they might turn on them. And now in this room where they have some privacy, with a hood over Jesus' head, they start hitting him and slapping him. And that says to us, be very careful when you harbor anger and you don't get it resolved and you're not reconciled. It will cause your heart to get hard and it will distort your judgment and you will say or do things that are absolutely unbecoming to a follower of Jesus Christ. Scripture is all about reconciliation. 
We have been reconciled to Him. We are to be ministers of reconciliation. It's interesting, when Peter got into the courtyard, they were lighting a fire. And he couldn't get to Jesus, because Jesus was in one of those rooms, so he just kind of snuggled in amongst all these people who were not his friends. They were antagonistic toward him and the way of the cross. But he associated with them, trying to fade into the midst of them and not be seen and yet still be able to see what was going on. When you look on down through the passage in 55 to 57, you see the first denial that takes place on the part of Peter. And what happens is, a servant girl, some would say the one who was was tending the gate, she looked across in the flickering light of the fire they had started, And she spots Peter. And she looked intently on him, and she thought to herself, I know that man. I have seen him before. And she calls out, and she says, he was with Jesus. And and Peter says of Jesus, I didn't know him. And if you notice... In each of these denials, he's forceful when he says that. He said, woman, I do not know him. And you know, when you have to get that kind of forceful, you have a pretty weak argument. And you almost know that the truth hasn't come out. But that's what he did. If you look on down into the 58th verse you'll see the second denial. A little later, another saw him and said, you're one of them too. And Peter said, man, I'm not. What was happening to Peter? Was he so afraid? Had he lost his perspective that God is sovereign? That God was working his plan out and that God was going to take care of Peter? I think so. I think his focus from Jesus had shifted to people and to a situation. And every time that happens to us, we start to waver in our faith. Have you noticed that? You take your eyes off of Jesus, and he hasn't gone anywhere. But you and I feel very alone. And in essence, we are by our own choice. So for a second time... In verse 58, Peter denies Jesus. Verses 59 through 60 is a third denial. It says a whole hour has gone by. And another man began insisting, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Can you hear the forcefulness behind no argument at all? I wonder who he was trying to really convince. Maybe himself. A man who is a well-known Christian author and taught for many years in a seminary on the West Coast was invited 
to go to a land that does not look favorably on Christians. It forbids the worship of the Christian faith, and the national government supports that. This man's name was Peter. Peter was invited to go and to speak to Christians in a clandestine kind of setting. And he got into the country, and his host took him to a gathering. And as they gathered together, people were coming in the room. And Peter was with the host up front, getting ready to speak. And his host stepped over and said, Peter, you need to wait just a few minutes. Some government officials have just walked in the door. So Peter sat down. The man got up and led them through some other things, and it got a little repetitious, and the government officials got up and left. And then the man stepped over to Peter and said, Peter, you can go ahead and preach now. They're gone. And Peter said, what would they have done? He said, oh, they would have arrested you and put you in prison. And Peter, and I heard him say this, said, what an honor. I wish I had gotten on my feet and preached the things of Jesus. The contrast between the two Peters is rather startling. This man who had walked with Jesus, who had talked with Jesus, who'd been there when Jesus worked miracles and healed people, and how quickly his faith just evaporated. And if he could have just said, oh, for me to be identified with Jesus, what a wonderful honor that would be. You and I need to be careful. And we need to figure out which of those two Peters we are. We're out there in the world, and the world does not know nor love Jesus the Christ. And the question is, do we by our behavior deny being a follower? And people look at us and can't tell we're a follower. Or are we consistent in our walk so that other people know who we are? And should somebody criticize us for that? What an honor. What a privilege to be called a follower of Jesus. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. And then he heard a rooster crow. Now, I'm not a farm boy, but as I understand roosters, they do crow as that sun gets ready to come up, or near about when it gets ready to come up. And if I'm in error, please don't tell me after church. But that's typically the way I understand it. So they're going through the night on that Friday night, or Friday morning, and as the sun is about to come up, Peter has now three times denied Jesus. And then look what is said in 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord is in a room. Obviously the shutters are open to the courtyard. And Jesus looks out and looks right at Peter. And Peter makes eye contact with him. You ever think you can do something and God doesn't know you're doing it? It is not true. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're feeling. And even in that situation, one look from the Lord Jesus Christ 
And Peter was faced with what he had done. Peter began to weep, coming under conviction of his own sin. He loved Jesus. He had committed himself to Jesus, had said he was willing to give his own life. And now he looks back and realizes how quickly he had denied Jesus. And he remembers the Lord had said to him, in essence, before this night and early morning are over, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter remembers it. And he starts to cry. My goodness, with all that going on, and with somebody as close as Peter denying Jesus, in a sense, almost like Judas, why do we call it Good Friday? It's a hard day. And the answer is so simple. It was determined by God that someone would come on our behalf and would walk where you and I ought to walk, would experience what you and I ought to experience. It helps us understand how terribly grievous our sin nature is, born with and lived with. And we start to understand that Jesus came to resolve that. And what he went through, he willingly subjected himself to. He was never forced into it. I always like the little idiom. All Jesus had to do was to call on the legion of angels. And all of that would have been resolved just like that in a human sense. But that is not why Jesus came. He came to suffer and to die for you for me in our place. He came to redeem us. And it was a high price and a dark day. But it was, in fact, Good Friday. And you and I are the recipients of that grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it is a compelling story. The narrative we read of what, what really took place. If we take it seriously, Lord, it impacts every one of us. First, with some of the pain and some of the hurt that Jesus went through. And then it impacts us, Lord, because through that, your grace has been shown to us. And we're here today as evidence of that grace. For we believe the unbelievable. We believe that he died and was raised from the dead. And that we shall die and we shall be raised from the dead. Thank you, dear God, for Good Friday. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand.
know what a appropriate benediction might be today? For you just to turn to the people around you and say, God bless you as you look them in the eyes. God bless you and God keep you.